Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Dying to ourselves is the hardest thing that we will ever do, and it's not a one-time appointment with God. Death to self is a repeated act of submitting ourselves to the Lord. The good news is that He helps us in this lifelong process of incrementally, systematically, and purposely putting us to death. Did you know that God is working behind the scenes to undermine any remaining self-reliance in us so that we can trust Him more effectively? Sometimes the good Lord must sabotage our self-sufficiency to teach us to rely on Him who raises the dead. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. If you would like to read, watch, or listen what I'm sharing with you, the title of it is, God is Incrementally and Purposely Putting You to Death. And let me share with you Exhibit A. Paul teaches us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. And here is this great conjunction connecting Paul's suffering to what God was doing behind the scenes. Paul said, but that all of our suffering, despairing of life, burdened beyond our strength, all of that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Exhibit A for this kind of teaching, a theology of suffering, God working behind the scenes to sabotage any self-reliance that remains in us, is the Apostle Paul. He had a God-ordained difficult life. He endured many hardships. Why? Because he knew Christ. Having a relationship with Christ does not permit us to forego suffering. Actually, it's the opposite. Knowing Christ ensures suffering. In our evangelistic endeavors, it's absolutely essential that we let folks know that when you become a Christian, it's going to put you on a different kind of path. It's a glorious path, but it is not a path that is without suffering. To know Jesus is a call to die. For Paul, suffering was not a lifestyle to spurn, but a means that God used to push him to true greatness. Paul's understanding of the mysteries of suffering gives us several serious questions that we have to ponder. For example, what animates your innermost thoughts? I mean, what is it that drives you? What are your deepest, surest, strongest motivations? What describes your animating center? What drives your greatest desires? Is it your amazement? at knowing Christ and being known by Him? Or is it a desire for a better life than you currently have? Knowing Christ and being able to tell others about Christ was the purpose of Paul's life. It was this singular animating passion. It did not coexist with a need to overcome his problems. Paul knew better. 
He perceived the point of his problems, which were to enable him to put Christ on display more effectively. Suffering in Paul's life was like a a magnifying glass. It allowed him to magnify Christ to his sphere of influence. Suffering is one of those mysteries that God gives us so that we can understand him more deeply. And equipped with Paul's theology of suffering, we can enjoy a more profound life with the Lord. It is a maturity that does not make suffering disappear. It is the suffering that fuels and sustains Christian maturity. Paul said it this way in 3.10 of Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings because or becoming like him in his death. You know in Galatians 2.20, this wonderful passage of Scripture, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said it this way in John 12.24, Truly, truly. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. One of the unintended consequences of the biblical counseling movement is that some people believe counseling is a means to make their problems disappear. Some counselors succumb to this expectation, creating pressure on themselves to help counselees resolve their problems according to how they want resolution. I mean, just imagine for a moment if the great Apostle Paul came to you with a thorn in his flesh. Imagine that you knew he was a profoundly spiritual man who loved God wholeheartedly and was doggedly determined to tell others about Christ. He was a mature Christian, not a nominal one. Furthermore, he told you about this problem and how he had committed it to prayer three times at least, asking God to remove his thorn. Now, he has come to you because he wants your help, eliminating the harassing intruder. Here is the crucial information. God is not, God will not, God cannot, God should not remove this thorn from Paul's life. Paul will live the rest of his life with his thorn. It is God's irrevocable will for your counselee, Paul. Now, what if you believed it was your job to help Paul get rid of his problem according to how Paul perceived it? In the culture, we call it affirmative care. That's where the counselee determines the outcome. God did not write the Bible so that we could celebrate recovery. Paul never recovered that way. Here's the text in 2 Corinthians 12, three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Job thought about these things right in the middle of his book in chapter 23, verses 13 and 14 says this, talking about God, he is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires that he does, for he will complete what he appoints for you and many such things are in his mind. The celebration that we see in scriptures is a Savior who transforms us through the power of the gospel, which sometimes happens by not removing the thorns in our lives. He did not come to give us a great marriage, a disease-free body, and financial freedom, though there are present and earthly benefits to living godly while humbly applying the truths of the Word of God in our lives. The problem-free priorities and expectations that most people in our culture consider a right are not promises. Our culture is trying to figure out how to overcome their disappointments through man-centered therapies. The God-centered Christian has found a better way of celebrating. They celebrate the transformation that shapes a person into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So often, this kind of change happens because of the suffering in our lives. The biblical realist knows that he cannot escape all sorrow. The realist also knows that suffering and the good life are not always hostile to each other. Disciplers, pastors, counselors, they must be clear in this matter. They must not make problem removal their number one goal for two reasons. It could be that God wants them to keep their thorn stuck in their flesh because that is the best way for the person to put his son on display. It could be, second reason, that God wants them to get rid of their thorn in the flesh because that is the best way for the individual to put his son on display. So our primary goal should not be to put Jesus on display, or our primary goal should be to put Jesus on display in our lives, regardless of how God chooses to accomplish it. Now, this worldview leads to an all-important question. How do you want to define your life? Are you more interested in displaying God's name through your suffering? Or are you more interested in removing your suffering regardless if it brings glory to God? I was in a counseling session many years ago, and it was a marriage problem, and I was trying to get both of them to see this, but the wife was really against this theology of suffering, and she told me explicitly and plainly, I really don't care about all of that. I just want my husband to treat me better. Well, it did not work out the way that she wanted. She wanted the good life without the suffering. Her theology of suffering was not nearly as robust as what Paul is teaching us. The promise of the therapeutic culture is to get rid of their problems. God promises to find strength through our problems. And this is why Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When Peter thought about these things, he said it this way, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that ye might follow in his steps. That is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Jesus came to die on a cross so that we could have an example to follow. And we must walk in his steps to find a better life. When sin came into the world, violence and disease and corruption came along for the ride. Every person became a bad person and bad things happened to bad people. Christ did not come to die to change violence or disease or corruption. Christ came to change lives. Though the death and resurrection of the Savior have slowed down the onslaught of sin, it was not the point of the gospel. His point was to give us life so that we could be in Him while looking forward to a better world. We find our strength, glory, hope, and praise in God rather than in a perfect relationship or a healthy body. It's a person's unwillingness to embrace this kind of theology of suffering that opens the door to discouragement and depression. The longer it takes a person to find strength in suffering, the more susceptible they will be to discouragement. Our therapeutic culture opposes this teaching because they are beholden to an anti-suffering utopian message. Part of the American dream is to remove all suffering from everyone, which is absolutely untenable teaching that does not factor in the doctrine of fallenness. If you want to rid yourself of your problems but cannot get to that utopian place, you will experience disappointment. If medications do not work or if a divorce does not give you a better life, you will not be far from depression. How influenced have you become by our culture's best life now mantra? How has the prosperity drumbeat detracted you from the Christological purposes of your life? You can measure how you think about these questions by examining how you respond to the complex challenges in your life. If you have peace and hope and rest amid your deepest trials, the culture's suffering-free promise has not arrested and trapped you. If you're willing to walk with God, it is not your strength that God will use. He can't. He won't. He will not compete with you. He puts his treasure in clay jars. God works through weakness and brokenness, not personal might or high intellect. Your weakness will release his strength that he perfects in you. Of course, if your primary purpose in life is to be healthy and wealthy, you will be working counter to the purposes of God and your frustrations will mount. I see this all the time in people's lives. They are just pursuing head-on and headstrong toward this utopian perfect life that is out there somewhere, someplace. 
but they're never satisfied. It is insatiable. And so they are never happy, always frantic and frenetic, trying to find that one thing that's going to give them the peace that they crave. But that peace is found in Christ. And so often that peace comes through the portal of suffering. And the reason it's a portal of suffering is because we have to die to ourselves. Resisting God's suffering-centric plans for you will send you into a black hole of hopelessness and despair. The way up is most assuredly down. The gospel narrative always cuts against the grain of the world's narrative. The counterintuitive gospel does not mean being sick, poor, and having dysfunctional relationships are God's only ways to provide His strength. I am not talking to the cynical person, and I trust you're not that person where you look at this cynically and and you think, well, I just need to go out and be sick, be poor, be helpless, be in despair, and then I can get God's strength working in me. The idea here is not celebrating sin or suffering, but celebrating Christ, regardless of our circumstances. We can only be strong by living in God's strength, not our own. We can only overcome this by celebrating God's power through our weakness, through our brokenness, through our sickness, through our poverty. Let me reiterate, I'm not saying that you should contract HIV to be strong. I'm not saying you should intentionally become bankrupt to unleash God's power in your life. I am saying that our circumstances, whatever they are, they become a means to find God's strength, God's hope, God's peace, God's contentment in our lives. It could be that God will choose to raise you from unfavorable circumstances And I praise God for that. If he turns your captivity and puts you on a better path to your liking, let's rejoice. But that cannot be our first and most important prayer request. Our first and greatest desire must be to die in Christ which we intuitively know as spiritual people that it unleashes God's perfected power in our lives. The beginning of embracing Christ's death as our soul-sustaining strength is prayer. That is where we want to start. And I know that's expected. That's what people would anticipate. And I'm not saying that because that is Christian speak or Christianese. I'm saying that because the call here to die to yourself has to begin on our knees, in our closet, or wherever that place is where you appeal to God to bring you to that place to where you can accept the Christological purposes of suffering in your life. And so my appeal to you is to ask the Father to help you walk through Christ's incremental, systematic, and purposeful death. The Lord will help you to die to yourself You must let go of your strength to hold on to His strength. Now, I know that sounds ambiguous, and that's why it's important that you ask God to help you to understand these things. These are not 
concrete tools that you can go pick up. This is not three steps to this or that. This is not a formulaic process that is sequenced and it applies to everyone. This is a spiritual matter that needs the Spirit of God operating in our lives. As a matter of fact, at the bottom of this article, again, is titled, God is Incrementally and Purposely Putting You to Death. I have a prayer from the Valley of Vision prayer book, and I put it here because I trust that it will guide you in grasping some of these more profound truths, because I know what our temptation is. It's like, I just need three steps, but that's not how this is going to happen. There is no closet you can go to and pull out this tool or that wrench and and get yourself to a place of dying in Christ. No, this is a spiritual work that we must beg God to do in our lives. And so listen to this prayer from the Valley of Vision. Again, you can copy it right out of this article and you can use it. I will ask you later in the CTAs to to use this as a template for a season in your life, pleading with the Lord to help you to accomplish what the writer of this prayer is saying from the Valley of Vision prayer book. Here we go. Lord, high and holy, Meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights, hemmed in by the mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime stars can be seen from the deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. I trust that brief prayer from the Valley of Vision prayer book is encouraging to you, and I would encourage you to take advantage of it here in this article and use it as you ask God to incrementally and purposely put you to death. And that is the title of the article here. Let me wrap up by asking you a few questions. And again, you can print this article off if you want. There is a print button at the bottom of it on the website. You can click it. You can print it off into a PDF. Uh, It will walk you through how to delete like the photos if you don't want them in there, the banners and so forth. And so you just have the text and you can use this Uh, Put it in your three-ring binder. You can mark it up. You can print off several copies. Uh, You can give it to a few friends. You can do life over coffee. If you're part of a small group of friends, this would be a wonderful tool. For those of you who do the work of discipleship and you're counseling that person who is pressing you uh, to change their circumstances, they came to you to fix their problems, there may be a counterintuitive message here for them. 
fix is that your problems will never change, as we see uh, in the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, the solution for that individual is to say what Paul says. Therefore, I will be content in calamities and hardships and insults and persecution, because when I am weak, then I am strong. And sometimes this is what God intends for our lives because he wants to sabotage, and I say that in the most biblically informed sense, any remaining self-reliance in our life because he wants to teach us to rely on him who raises the dead. And as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, I do not want you to be ignorant of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were burdened beyond our strength. We were despairing of life. But God was behind it all, incrementally and purposely putting us to death. It will either be self-reliance or God-reliance but God will not compete with us. Therefore, we must assume the position of weakness. And so question number one from this article, will you discuss your theology of suffering with a friend? If you're married, I would encourage you to talk to your spouse if you can. I recognize that that's not possible with many spouses. But if you're able and both of you are mature enough and engaged enough to have this conversation would you talk about your theology of suffering? What does that term mean to you, practically speaking, not just theologically speaking? Don't give them a classroom academic answer only, but what does it mean to you, practically speaking? Paul outlined what it meant to him, practically speaking, in 2 Corinthians 12. He was talking about his pride and how it lifted him up and the abundant revelations and what God was doing to him and why God was doing it to him because of his pride, how Paul wrestled with that and came to this wonderful uh, conclusion that he was going to rest in his weakness, accepting the thorn in his flesh. Practically speaking, that was his theology of suffering. If you can't talk to a spouse or family member, would you ask God to give you a friend that you can have a conversation with? Maybe share, uh, share this audio the video, share the article here, and then y'all do Life Over Coffee discussing this term, a theology of suffering. Question number two, perhaps spending a season praying this Valley of Vision prayer would serve your soul well. That was not a question. It was a statement, but I would encourage you to consider it, taking this prayer and I would recommend the entire prayer book. Uh, the Valley of Vision prayer book is an outstanding book with so many good prayers in it. You can get a copy of it that's indexed, and so you can look at different topics, different subjects, so that you can pray specific prayers. This one here is about the paradox of suffering and uh uh, experiencing God on the mountain while in the valley. But there's so many other prayers in that prayer book, and maybe this would form a template for you of praying rightly for God, so I, to God. And I really high, high, highly recommend the Valley of Vision prayer book, but specifically this prayer here. Number three, are you struggling? What do you believe God's good intentions are for you? as you struggle. And so as you're going through this dark moment, maybe you are experiencing grief. Are you fixated on the goodness of God? 
or is there something else animating you from the inside? This would also be a conversation to have with a friend too. Number four, are you finding God's strength in your weakness? Now, perhaps this would be an excellent time to talk to someone about this. If your weakness is not manifesting God's strength, what might be the problem? Would you share your thoughts with a friend? You may not be able to identify this. And so as you pray and ask God to give you insight and illumination based on the things that you have heard here, then bring along a competent friend, not someone who would rubber stamp you, but someone who has the grace, the courage, and the compassion uh, to be able to speak into your life, and maybe they can get you unstuck as far as understanding what it means to manifest God's strength in your weakness. And so the question is, are you finding God's strength in your weakness? And then number five, is there something you want more than Christ as your animating center? I am not saying that you have to, that you have to lose what you want. That's not what I'm saying. And this is where I don't want the cynic to jump in the ditch and say, oh, well, I just need to get sick or have a financial reversal so that I can experience God in a profound way. I have not said that at all. And so I'm not saying that you have to lose what you want. But are you willing to lose it if it is the only way to find peace and strength with God? And so the question here in number five is, is there something you want more than Christ as your animating center? And so please go to lifeovercoffee.com. Look for God is incrementally and purposely putting you to death. Read all about it. Listen, watch the video. If I may make an appeal, our resources, this resource is free to you, the production of it doesn't cost you a dime. And so if you are able to help us to support, to underwrite our ministry, we do need supporters. Our work continues to grow. We're continuing to reach people. Our expansion has been incremental over all of these years since we started in 2008. And it's a phenomenal thing. But the workload is immense. It really is. We do a lot. We produce a lot. We give our resources away, most of them. And so we need churches that are willing and able to be able to support us. We're cyber missionaries, and you can think of how you support a missionary. Well, we go around the world every single day, seven days a week. We have I mean, every day I'm teaching hundreds upon hundreds of people just on YouTube that they come. And it doesn't matter. Uh, we're not Chick-fil-A where we close on Sunday. Uh, this uh, our uh, coffee shop is open seven days a week, and it is working. It's always working, but we have to keep it full. We keep creating content. We're teaching and training our students. We're responding to people on our forums. We're doing a lot of work passively and also actively, intentionally. And so we do need your help. And so as a church, if you're able to support us monthly or annually, would you do that? Would you contact us? And then if you're able to help us uh, as an individual or an organization, uh, I just appeal to you to make that a matter of prayer and that you would support us if you're able. If you're not, what I want you to do is to share our content. 
Just share our content and because that's the most important thing. That's why we exist uh, is to create these practical resources and we want them to get out there. And so you could help us that way by sharing our content if you're not in a position to help us financially. All right, so God is incrementally and purposely putting you to death. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.